I'm always screaming my lungs out Till my head starts spinning Playing my songs is a way I cope with life Won't keep my voice down All the words I speak are the thoughts I think out loud I'd like to keep things honest I'm a safe bet like your life staked on it for real I'd hate to keep you all wondering I'm constant like for seasons I will never be forgotten Let's leave no words unspoken And save regrets for the broken Will you ever look back when you think of me? All I want is a place to call my own To mend the hearts of everyone who feels alone Whoa, you know you keep your hopes up high And you head down low <laughs> Keep your hopes up high and you head down low this was terrible. <laughs> that was awesome, man. That was absolutely we've, awesome. Uh, some, Come on, uh... that's that's amazing, man. Dude, as I was setting all the mics up for the show, you're getting ready to do all this action going on, man. Andrew, that was wicked. Thank you. That was amazing, dude. You're Thanks gonna, so gonna much, man. You're going to have to man. do some magic after... Uh, no, I don't have to do anything like, to it. Me, but just you know, listen just... to it. That's all I got to do, man. That was awesome, man. Can you hear me like this? You're good? No, just bring it bring it a little a closer little to you. Okay, like oh, yeah, there we go. That's, uh, right. that's perfect, man. All right, Andrew. I mean, I don't know how anybody else is going to beat that to get it going, man. But um, um, Who was playing the bass guitar? Tony was playing. No. No, it was Jeff, the painter. Right. So he was doing that, and that was a very cool one as well, right. too. Well, right? the next one is just... Someone's going to come in and not suck singing and playing. No, I'm, I'm waiting for someone to come in with a drum kit. That's what I'm waiting for, man. That's going to be wicked. All right, so we're talking to Andrew at Lusso Design Canada. This is your second appearance on the show now. It's been a while since you were on the show. Uh, last Way back at the beginning. December? Yeah. December. Yeah, yeah, way back. I remember back. it was cold. I remember well, I it was, was really freezing. cold. <laughs> it was freezing. So at Lusso Design, and it's www.lusodesign.ca. Andrew at lusodesign.ca, and the phone number is 416-834-9905. And what exactly do you do, Andrew, again? So I actually came in on a show initially as a door guy, but... The way I started was not with doors, but for with glass for doors and a lot of custom item work. Inserts. And inserts for doors, exactly. So I figured we can kind of um, maybe wrap up a few things that we kind of forgot. Uh, or we can didn't. talk a lot about <laughs> doors, man. Yeah, I thought maybe you had some questions or maybe you had anyone who kind for of sure. had any questions for from, sure. you know, it's been like a year almost. And um, maybe door styles. I should have brought my cheat sheet with me, which I, I don't have. I'm going to try to... You got the internet, man. You could just um, pull it up on the internet. Um, yeah, I've had some kind of a plan, and um, that was for four months ago. No. Nah. So we're, <laughs> we're currently... We'll figure uh, it out. We're, we're in a shop... North Toronto area. Yeah, so we're actually going to do a little bit of house maintenance, as you say. Yeah. Uh, the shop belongs to RM Engineering. Roman, he's actually um, someone who's helping me out while I'm setting up my own shop at my place in Keswick. And uh, he is the person who taught me most of the things that I know about welding specifically. And he's the one who probably... Uh, I don't know. You forgot more things that I ever learned, I guess. Old school guy, right? <laughs> Very old school. Yeah. Well, but he, but he, he actually enjoys teaching, sharing yeah. the knowledge. Yeah, he's. Uh... Almost like a mentor of mine, it's I guess. Very you can cool. Say. I just met him recently. So I, I mean, like down to earth guy, man. So really, thank you so much for letting us use the shop to record the podcast. No Carlito. You probably realize that there's no Carlito here. Carlito is uh, on a break right now. The construction life is going to keep on going. Right off the bat, Andrew, I want to ask you: Do you got a construction bone to pick? 
say anything that come to mind? Because I had a few oh, things happen to me. Uh, but we always <laughs> uh, we always ask our guests. We always want to see if the guests uh, have a construction bone to share with their, uh, the audience. I, I I just have a lot of mixed feelings with with COVID and timelines. In what respect? Um, well, I'm actually very uh, grateful. I've got a lot of clients who are understanding about how things are right now and how it is just nearly impossible to figure out how long things are going to take. So the turnaround. The turnaround and... Has it, it doubled? Yeah, I know I'm normally gonna, with a door... I'm going to say we're seeing probably a 35% increase in volume, even though we had no work for two months. It's been a bizarre year. And it's kind of funny because we went from, you know, being kind of sad March, April, nothing to do. And then uh, um, May started picking up. June, it really started picking up. It never stopped picking up. And then towards the end of July, I'm starting to realize, oh, the, the supply network's kind of crumbling between, you know. It is. Uh, well, it's, I think it's getting better right now, but, but July, August, September were really tough trying to figure things out because we've got all of that extra volume, but it feels like a lot of the stuff that comes in from states is not coming in on time. A lot of the things that are manufactured here and in Canada, uh, a lot of production places don't seem to have full staff or for production capacity, you know, they, they've sent people back home in, in April and, and some don't have their full staff back because, you Even know, still today? Like, it's yeah. not full staff. What did yeah. you do through those two months, those first two months? After you Crazy panicked, of course. <laughs> yeah. After we all panicked. <laughs> after after I got my first batch of clients calling me and telling me, you know what, you know, the door that we just ordered, can we um can we postpone it for for a little while? Mm. Can we can we get our deposit back? But then you got another batch of clients coming um, back at you going, listen, can you order and start that production sooner? Um yeah, so I've had early it was second week of March when they went in lockdown. Yeah. I literally I've had a few projects already in works. And then I had a few new ones, which got literally canceled the same week. As soon as we went in lockdown, I got a phone from call from from the client, and uh, you know I understand. You know everyone's that situation, totally. so that's them, when you send start them, to panic, send them right? their deposits back. I wouldn't say panic; it was just more of like sit down and and rethink the plan. And then the other thing too is restructure. Um, yeah, kind of kind of figure out what's going to happen. So then, of course, we've had the government telling us, well, um, uh, the, the construction now is essential. So that kind of created a lot of confusion. It's just, then, it's like, just funny. You said the government, and all of a sudden, the theme song to Dukes of Hazards just popped into my head. <laughs> the good old boys. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it just makes no sense. So we know what the government did or didn't do. Well, it was interesting <laughs> because first we're like, okay, are we going to be able to work? Then all construction is essential. Okay, so we can work. Is it a safe or a, or a good thing to work? Well, in this environment, you may be endangering your crew. You may be endangering your clients. There was always that risk. And I'm very, um, I guess, lucky in a certain way. I'm, I have a very small operations. And it's it's mainly myself. And, um, you know, small if you trust the guy. Owner. And, yeah, this is where I was a lot more flexible. So... For the first week of the lockdown, I was trying to figure out what I want to do if I want to shut down, if I don't want to shut down, if it's the right thing to do. The guys on a commercial job site are pretty much, you know, thrown under the bus, 50, 100 people on a, on a job site with no washrooms, no nothing being told to work. If we all remember that, that video from uh, yeah. when the uh, super was uh, on a condo project. The, the, so, so the, I mean, um, but it almost feels like it was like decades ago. I know. It just it's, feels like it's weird. We're at the... End of October, 
of 2020. Feels like a lifetime. And it does it does. It feels like a lifetime ago that this was going on, but there's still no signs of construction disappearing. There's still no signs of things slowing down, and I think people have stopped asking me questions regarding what do you think's going to happen in 2021? And I just I kept on answering and replying saying it's going to be a repeat of 2020. That's it. 2021 is going to be a repeat of 2020. I think it's 2022. I think travel, I think restaurants, those are going to bounce back. I think construction is going to slow down in 2022. But I still think that you should have restructured your business in March, April, figured out your game plan, figured out your faults, and then move forward with those ideas. And then you would have prospered, man. Like everybody I know that I've spoken to trade-wise... They're busy, man. Everybody's busy. We're all booked into the new year right now. We're booking We're booking the spring right now is what we're doing. We're booking the spring, right? And uh, and that's what it should be like. It totally should be that way, man. That's interesting that you bring it up. But, but I think, I mean, in all fairness, you don't think that COVID's been a good thing, despite the obvious bad thing? I'm trying to find a silver lining usually. And for me, it was just a way to sit down and think it was a good pause to restructure and rethink a lot of things but for me what happened is the first week of that lockdown i'm sitting down and i'm realizing that i'm trying to set up a new website and update things and i'm just restless i'm going crazy so i ended up researching every possible precautionary measure there was i literally took course on World Health Organization's website for medical professionals for dealing with infectious disease. They've got like a free, free as in no charge, three or four hour course that you can sit through. And weren't they right? And then weren't they wrong? And then weren't they right again regarding the information that was being sent out? This was based off of already existing course for dealing with patients with infectious diseases. This is like for nurses and people who got work it. in hospitals. Got it. So I went through that. I got like a participation certificate somewhere. I went through Canadian Construction Association safety. So I went through every safety protocol possible. And I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to implement. We'll keep on going. If the clients are comfortable, we'll keep on going. March, You April, guys kept on going. We kept on going. The shop, the factory that builds my door, same thing. They scaled down a lot to the bare bone crew, but they kept on going. But the as lights well. were left on, and we kept on moving, right? Yeah, so, nothing really completely stopped. Everyone, so as you, soon as do we do, you heard still that, have the same kind of COVID love hate relationship with it, or no? Yeah, I, I do. I've, I just realized that the previous methods of working and everything that I used to how I used to work uh, with planning things and uh, organizing things in a certain way doesn't work anymore because I'm usually a little bit of a control freak. I try to optimize and, you know, build things up to maximum efficiency and plan things ahead and have my schedule figured out and all of that. So about two, three months ago, I realized that all of the methods that I was using before for planning things don't work anymore and at this point that's just what i loved kind of like a day by day i keep my several days of my schedule open every week for installs whatever is ready we'll book it if it's not ready we wait until it's ready trying to plan things ahead was something that tripped me up a lot in july and early august until i realized that like the way i used to operate doesn't work anymore i have to just just come up with a new way and it was driving me up the wall because i'm 
I, I like having things planned out and organized and all of that. But I think, and it's I think just that's not what, how it works anymore. I think that's what was kind of good about this is that it gave a lot of guys who are rusty with customer service a lot more time to actually practice on skills like that. You know what I'm saying? It's like restructure your business, right? But I want to get into, let's get into the heart of this podcast. I want to talk about doors. So I know that you're a door guy, door insert guy. You know a lot about doors. I want to talk about the details of doors. I want to figure out everything, why an expensive door is an expensive door. Why a less expensive door is a less expensive. What are the faults behind doors? I want to talk about everything to do with, with doors. But before we get into that world of doors, I got to say thank you very much, Andrew. Honestly, like, thank you very much. You brought me an espresso machine, but not just any typical espresso machine. You made a construction life espresso machine. That's absolutely insane that you've done that. And it's abs like, I love it. Thank you so much. Like it, it's, it says the construction <laughs> life on one side. You got to take and, a photo. And, like I got to, I'm going to share it. I have to share it. And I'm like, I actually was talking to somebody else where I do need a fourth machine now because I've got another job about to start. Yeah. And that's where this machine's going to go. And it's absolutely insane. And when the guy starts seeing this machine, it's got an octopus on one side. It's got construction life on the other side. And it's got pure espresso gold in the middle. It's abs Thank you. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate that, man. Was, that's uh, absolutely uh, awesome, at, man. At 2 a.m. in the morning, kind of a crazy <laughs> idea. I'm like, I gotta. That's not craziness, man. That's awesomeness. That's what it is. It's All insane. Right, thank, you. thank you so much. So that's that. Uh, it's kind of related to the custom metalwork theme, too. I was trying to brainstorm. I'm like, what I can I do that kind of combines the handmade present, which we all we know are the best. That's insane, and, man. Uh, and custom metalwork theme and, and something that we all like, which is espresso. <laughs> Love it. So what I want to ask you for, you know, the history of, uh, uh, well, construction history with me, right? I want to ask you, how far back are we going regarding earliest doors ever to be used? should have prepared, shouldn't I? I thought it was a pretty simple, like I was doing the research and I was like, going, okay, yeah, so Wait, how far um, back do doors go? Didn't Jeff answer this already, loft doors? Um, I don't know if he mentioned it. Was it in Rome, probably, or Greece, going further. that far back? Maybe even further back. Uh, what kind, like, door as a concept of a door? Like, a, put a piece the of idea, something to cover the exactly. opening the, in the... The idea uh, of putting something in front of an opening. So this goes back to Egyptian era again. Egyptians did Makes a sense. lot of interesting things because, first of all, they were guided by the aliens. Uh, that's just, you know, we'll decide if that's true or not. But basically, they were the first to take slabs of wood, fitted them with hinges, and then they placed them across doorways. No particular shape or form. They just basically took wooden doors. Sometimes it was out of olive wood. That's what they were using. Because of durability or any, any reason I for guess, that? I guess, I don't know what the reason is behind that. But the thing is, the earliest earliest civilizations, they, they didn't have concepts of doors that we have today. They didn't think about it that way. But they were just looking at it like taking a piece of a hide, leaves, paper, glass, metal, stone, wood, and just put it in front of a doorway. That's it would all be it awesome was. to see the first hinge because uh, I mean I'd the concept of door is something covering the opening in a a cave that where a caveman lived probably existed maybe even further back but something that actually was like a functional door with hinges that'll be pretty awesome. And, and then the idea was points. that it started people started realizing back then that they started using it to guard important items in yeah. certain rooms and that's why the door started came became more rigid more secure. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it, it started getting more popular, specifically in the Victorian era, 18th century, right? That's when it became kind of, uh, let's figure out the purpose behind these doors, right? And then I want to ask you, because I thought this was an interesting fact, why red doors? 
why do so many people have red doors? What's with the deal of having a home and having a red painted door? What do you think it is? Well, I know that in a lot of Eastern countries, uh, like I have a, a lot of clients that are Oriental and uh, Indian clients as well. And uh, I think in their culture, it's something that awards off bad spirits. Yeah, exactly, and, man. Um, That's exactly. So right off the bat, outside of what modern day with with the real estate agents, they just think about curb appeal. But the thing is that, yeah, uh, red with Chinese culture is basically to fight off evil. That's what it was all about, right? And then Scots, mm -hmm. they were looking at it as a sign of you were out of the red, which would meant that you basically paid your mortgage off. So you would paint your front door red to let that whole entire neighborhood, I'm no longer in really? debt. That's what the Scots, exactly that's what the Scots did. How, so how far back do we have mortgages then? Is no, it like I, modern I, day well, Scots? I, whenever or? there was businessmen, that's, that's how it was, right? That's as far as back. And then it became... The, the Chinese took it a little further where it became a, a shade, a specific, specific shade, shade of red because it started getting attached to feng shui. Yeah. So it meant a particular shade and the way the door was positioned and the way it lined up with the back door and all that. You can never line them up in the same plane because the money comes in, money goes out, right? So I just found that, that you know, painting the doors red meant something and it still means something to a lot of people. And then basically where doors came from. So that was a little history. Yeah, I know I'm driving history. a bright red truck if you've seen it. Yeah, oh, and uh, that's funny. You do have a red Ford, like really red. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's a thirteen, and it was actually the first year when they added racing red, which used to be only for Mustangs before. It was never on any trucks. It wasn't on trucks. It was like burgundy red before was the only option, which I don't like the at ugly all. Red. I've got it on racing red, and I can say that it doesn't ward off evil. Well, I don't know. Maybe it does. Maybe there's but a you lot just of don't spirits know that. It that does. I, yeah, I know that it attracts cops. Does it? <laughs> if it's a lot flashier, flashier if you right? you drive fast enough. <laughs> yeah, pickup trucks go. I bet you it goes faster than my Sprinter that taps out at 136. Yeah, it a little must. bit. A little bit. It must. A little bit. All right, in so let's... take exhaust uh, chip. <laughs> all the fun stuff. Andrew, let's get right into doors, man. You want to give us a, a, a recap of how you got started in the business and why doors and everything like that? And let's go down the, the whole path of doors. Sure. For anyone who haven't listened to the first podcast, we'll try first podcast. We'll try to make it really fast. Got to Canada knowing nothing about construction. I actually finances and banking uh, major from Russia, Moscow. Wow. And um, got into construction by accident. Loved it. Ended up working for the company that was doing door inserts. Uh, was with them for a little while, didn't see eye to eye on a few things with the owner, started on my own, started doing door inserts, realized door inserts industry is not going where I want to be, gotten into bigger things, which is entire doors. And this was about, so I started on my own with inserts 2009. So that's uh, over 10 years ago. And so when you saw things that were not going where you wanted to go, what were you noticing? What are you talking about? Are you talking about the, the offshore kind of products that are coming in? Yeah, basically, if you go you know, 12 to 15 years back, the whole concept of putting a piece of metalwork between the two pieces of glass was still relatively new. And there were a few companies that started, not myself, uh, were, that started this trend. And for a while, this was something of custom nature, handmade, really kind of interesting artisanal kind of stuff, artisanal. Then, of course, as soon as something picks up 
some popularity, someone decides, well, we're going to take this concept and outsource it overseas and make it for cheap and make a shitload of money on it, which is basically what was happening. So by the time I started on my own, which was 2009, I was in industry already for four years. I started on my own thinking, oh, I'm going to do these custom, you know, I do all of these drawings and I do designs. I'm so, you know, I don't like when everyone's tied to the same 15 designs. I want to change things up. I want to give my clients ways of personalizing their doors because we're making them from scratch anyway. So it doesn't really, you know, if I change something here or change something there. And as a person who, uh, like, I used to actually uh, work in um, graphic design as well was my part-time job back in Moscow. I was uh, working as a, uh, doing advertising for a nightclub. And uh, <laughs> had Man, to do how do you get bit. like, okay, Moscow, nightclub, accounting, come to Canada, doors. How does that all add up? How does that, how do you fall into doors? I don't know, accidentally, I guess. Wow. I just loved working with my hands in the end of the day. That was the funniest thing is I've gotten into finances and banking because it was a solid, uh, stable. stable job. And I was actually in between the design and the economics when I was picking sort of my major. And I ended up in economics. I was like this close to actually going into design. So drawing and artwork was always a passion of mine. I used to draw from when I was even little. And eventually when I started on my own, I was like, okay, well, this is something that kind of is lining up. I love working with my hands as it turned out. I hate sitting in the office, which was also something obvious to me as soon as I tried my first co-op in a, uh, in a, in a Russian bank as a clerk. And I think I lasted a week. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> just was not my thing. I ended up selling cell phones in one of the biggest cell phone retailer in Russia and uh, making actually my way up quite high up the food chain. I was working at a store that was next to Red Square. Like literally you walk out of the store and wow. around the corner is Red Square, two stories, fancy. You've got phones for $20,000, $50,000 for one phone, kind of like an equivalent of a Rolex watch. Everything's like... What is it? Just diamond encrusted yeah. kind of gold? Yeah, and gold. Really? Um, I'm not sure if that brand is still around. It used to be owned by Nokia. Uh, the brand is called Virtu. Or no. I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but this is how we used to do it. Wow. And um, we've had from... The starting point was five grand, I think. And this is where... For like a phone. A, a $5,000 American. So basically, for a phone, which does nothing but make phone calls, by the way, it doesn't do. It's a status. This, this was, is a status. This yeah, is people absolutely. you want to show off that. Yeah, it's you got spent. like a sapphire piece for a glass instead of an actual glass. It's a polished piece of grown sapphire and it's got like ruby ball bearings. So if you drop this. it, it's not breaking? It's supposedly, yeah, you can drive like a truck over it. It's got a button where when anywhere in the world you push that button, you get a concierge service and you can book like a plane or or whatever, something like that. Wow. I was it's a um, different world, man. Yeah, there was when when in the late nineties, early two thousands, there was a lot I mean, there still is, but a lot of money came into play in russia and a lot of people i got don't really, know what really... you're talking about andrew <laughs> do you have any russian clients who are like trying to i'm gonna put some money into canadian real estate don't want to offend anybody and i don't nah, want to I... knock on the door either man i love all of my clients whichever nationality they are but... i gotta i gotta ask you what are the doors like in russia majority of people i mean i didn't work indoors back when i was there no, but so you i wasn't would, paying you that much around attention and, yeah 
most people live in condos. There aren't actually private homes unless we talk about villas that are outside the city. Okay. So like cottages, I guess. Okay. But much fancier. And then um, everyone lives in an apartment building. An apartment building has a door, which is a solid steel door. Like the basic door is a solid steel door, solid steel frame, solid steel door bolted onto concrete with... Uh, a four, five, six, seven point lock. Like the one that we've had. Seven point lock system? Well, I'm used to like, like a multi point at the most is like four. Yeah. So basically, we've had a door which was somewhat basic and we've had the primary lock that had four points, two to the sides, up, one up, one down. Then we had a second lock that was three. plus the three hinges. Uh, on the free hinges. Then we've had the free bolts that'll go into the side. That was the second lock. And then the third little lock was like a deadbolt about uh, two inches wide. That's just like a manual while. So you like turn it and you push it and you, that's like a little so latch. So the reason why you would need all this security is why? <laughs> Russia is a fun place to leave it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a typical door for yeah, that's like a pretty straightforward are you kidding well me? apparently they're the, the steel that's used for these is relatively cheap because everything's coming from china there as well which is and, right around the and corner so someone had like a tv show where they would go and debunk all of the or, or expose the cheap products and they had a can opener and they opened the door with a no. can opener but a you know, the ones that were ma well made, I, I'm pretty sure it's like in one of these videos where the cops are trying to knock the door out and they're, they can't. Like these were doors, you'd have to blow them up and they'll bolt them right onto, everything's concrete. So they'll bolt them straight onto concrete. I'm sure that you do this when you travel, when you did travel, when we get back to traveling, you pay attention to doors. Like I walk around and I see a door and I pay attention to it and I'll actually stop in my tracks and I'll go closer to it because I want to see the details attached to the door because generally it's be, like it's a rare wood generally the hinges are very very custom generally the handle is extremely custom as well too so i'm sure that you are taking that knowledge that you've seen abroad or even just from other other manufacturers i guess and trying to figure out how to make your doors that much better i think the trends on canadian market are completely different and I'm not gonna say like behind or ahead or whatever just just different what what do we want what do canadians want here well, we don't just have the same standards yet, I guess. The other thing, too, is... Uh, so, anyways, like, Russia, Moscow, big city, mostly condos. So these doors, for example, from an insulation perspective, probably wouldn't fare as well because they're solid metal. There's no thermal break to them. There's no nothing. There's maybe foam insulation inside. It's not necessary. So, and I haven't been... I've been here too long to really follow the trends there. I'm sure at this point, you know, in between... Uh, Russia itself to Europe being so close, Germany, Italy, uh, all of the um, Scandinavian countries, they have insane standards for energy efficiency now. And I'm pretty sure this is where like you look at any uh, doors with multi-point lock, like our multi-point locks are German, right? Like the ones that we use here. The Who was the first that, that actually designed multi-point? Probably some German guy. The Germans. <laughs> Probably the sure. Germans. We always know it's the Germans. Most of the brands that I see in North America are either German or American. Yep. Uh, and uh, I think I've seen maybe one Italian ones. 
um, but mostly uh, mostly either German or American. And that's and, becoming the norm now. Multi point because I remember when I got started in construction twelve years ago, multi point was not really the norm. Like it was it was more it was a very serious upgrade. It's still not the norm. I'd, I'd really, really love it to be a norm, Why to be honest. Why is it not the norm? Why would you want to just have expensive. a handle and a door and a deadbolt? It's more expensive, and we don't have the same technology. So this is actually a pretty uh, kind, of a, kind of a topic, interesting, because when it comes to electronic locks, which are a big thing on a market right now. Do you like them? I do. I mean, they're convenient. They're the gadgets, right? I like playing with gadgets. The I problem- think they're, they're horrendous looking, though. I haven't seen a really nice... Oh, the ones with the keypads and stuff yeah. like that? So this is the thing. The one that I like on the outside looks like a normal lock. It's just the, an attachment on a backside. Okay. So you sync it to your phone, and you can open with your phone. You can sync it to your, your smartphone. Your $5,000 Nokia phone? <laughs> well, that one probably doesn't do anything. <laughs> it doesn't even You're, do anything for the doors. Yeah. So so that's basically it's like a deadbolt attachment to the backside of a normal lock. So on the outside, it's still like a lock. Like a normal handle can be pretty, and then it just has the electronic mechanism. But then someone can hack into your phone and get into your house? Theoretically, yes. Yeah, okay. Just like with, I mean, someone, if someone Anything, hacks into your phone, then yes. you're going to lose more than your house. Yeah, your I mean, ring, the financial information, kinds, bank, everything, everything yeah, all everything, sorts of right? things. These phones are... <laughs> okay, so let's get back on the Canadian side of things. So are we much different than the American side of things? Or what are they doing for doors down there? I think we're very similar. Okay. It feels like we, I mean, I kind of keep track of what's going on south of the border as well. We're very, very similar. I'm not going to say that there's much much of a difference. What is the door that is the go-to door now for everybody that they want for that front entryway? It's not the red door anymore, right? It's black or something like that. A lot of black. A lot like of black. Probably right? 30. Well, not necessarily for me, but I've seen the trend of black doors. Very modern, very minimalist. Massive glass, maximum glass, minimum border, rail and style doors. So that's still safe? Maximum glass, minimum border? You can make it safe. So typically when we got glass on the door, on the door itself, the moving part of the door, like the actual door slab, the glass has to be tempered, which is like your side window of a car. Very hard to break. If you do manage to break, shatters into tiny pieces. Side lights, which are glasses beside the door, actually by code still don't have to be tempered. So you can really? have a gigantic side light beside the door, like 20 inches by freaking 80 inches, and you slip and fall into it, you're probably Guilty. a dead man because yeah. those uh, technically don't have... I mean, there's I think there's a certain square footage at which point you have to temper them, but I go through so many subdivisions, even the door glass is not tempered. Which is, I think there's a minimum on like a really small glass. But could you not take a sledgehammer to it and all of a sudden you got these huge shards? Oh, like you tap on them and and the shards is really the the bad thing. It's, uh, forget about security. If you break it, it, it's, you sliced yourself open. Like the shards are huge and So are people hoping that they just kind of cut the burglar? A lot of people just don't know, I guess, uh, that that it's How much are we saving by going regular glass versus tempered glass? Twice? Three times? 40 bucks. Well, Are you kidding me? Not 40 bucks. On any unit, it's uh, probably about a 25% average cost difference. But we're talking about, let's say my average side light is, say, $190 tempered and uh, about $40 more is to... That's nothing. Sorry, for it's $190 not tempered and $40 more is going to be tempered. That's nothing. Again, it varies by the size and square know, footage that's, and the glass type nothing, and all of that. That's nothing, man. Why would someone be choosing the guillotine glass versus... Versus the tempered glass. Because tempered is much more complicated to make. 
I might step but in the cost point. is not that the co- it's not the cost it's the complexity so basically to temper the glass you need a specialized machinery which is this massive kind of like an oven thing and the regular glass you put it into it it heats it up almost to the melting point and it goes for the rest of the machine where it's cooled down almost instantly by these gigantic fans and there's a lot of science that goes into specific temperatures and and all of this and that's how tempered glass is made and that's how tempered glass is made so go a little bit nerd on you um oh please do man i'm fascinated (laughs) this is wicked so what's the difference between regular glass and tempered glass if you take a sheet of glass so like an actual sheet of glass an actual piece of glass what do you do when you temper it it realigns the molecules within the sheet of glass in a way that it creates an outside hard layer which is very hard to break through, but it also creates internal pressure to it. So what happens is that it's very hard to break this glass, but as soon as you crack this external layer, it just bursts. That's the reason why. There's a really cool science experiment where they take molten glass, they drop it in a bucket of water, it creates this drop. I think it's called Prince Edward's drop experiment or something like that. And... This drop has a thick part where where it started going into the water and it has a very thin tail. Like a teardrop, like a water Like a teardrop with a very long tail. Okay. And you can take the thick part and you can smash it with a hammer. It wouldn't break. You can like slash hammer it. It wouldn't break. The tail, you crack the end and the whole thing explodes. You can Google it. It's the most amazing thing. Why is that? So why? Is it like an Achilles heel or something? It just... You find so, the weakness of it? Yeah, so it's a weak spot where you can break for this layer of molecules that are aligned. Okay. And as soon as you broke for it, that internal pressure is just going to bust this whole piece uh, uh, in, into pieces, into tiniest pieces, just is going to explode. So your, your car window, when it doesn't have the film on it, so with tempered glass, what it is is the actual middle portion of the glass is really strong. It's the edges that end up being the weak point because that's where it's the easiest to break those that, that, that layer of molecules molecules it's like the layer of molecules within the sheet of glass right that's how i've had i've had a huge scare one time when i was installing a shower glass door that was tempered and i just by just by sheer bad luck just nicked the corner for a split second there i thought that it was just going to shatter and it was like this tiny little sliver just came off the edge of it. You were very like, and that was it. And I was like, going, "There's no lucky. way!" Like it was just a tiny, tiny little thin piece, man. So I maybe I was just like right on the cusp of the whole thing just shattering. Yeah. And I was just lucky enough. And then I installed it. I put it in place, silicone it, and still it was to this lucky day enough. Fine. If you still protect this edge, it's probably going to be fine. So what you'd find sometimes is I get calls in the winter, especially when it gets really, really cold. I get calls from people whose glasses had shattered, like front door glass, door insert, that just on its own shattered. So an imperfection in the glass, when they melt it and, and, then, and then they solidify it, can cause an, an imperfection in this layer of molecules and it'll basically spontaneously shatter. That's why it's so hard to get anyone to warranty. Like if you... Uh, talk about warranty on glass almost no one would ever give you warranty on breakage of any kind because like theoretically it can if it's a faulty glass it'll shatter on its own plus you can never really it's very hard to prove if someone hit the glass hard enough for it to break after it's broken after it's broken because you're all into a thousand pieces yeah just gonna well yeah there's certain like 
when it's been just broken, it usually stays together. And you can tell by the pattern where the impact point was. Came from. And okay. in certain situations, you see that that impact point is on the edge of the glass, like inside there where it's hidden. So that's where it could have been an imperfection. Where it's right in the center, you know, it could be someone like shot it with a BB version, gun. The one that well, the just... spontaneous version, that's the thing. It's random, so you cannot really... So I, as a client, you come back and I call you, Andrew, my door just exploded. I didn't do anything. I, didn't even, I wasn't anywhere near it. But you're For not me, warm... I'd warranty it. You really, huh? I Knock on the wood, there were maybe... There weren't any of my clients that ever had that. I've had clients who broke their glasses accidentally, but because they hit, they yeah, did they something. hit them hard enough to break them, which is not a small feat, but that also can happen. I know I've spoke to quite a few people who didn't get any warranty, like their glasses were broken. The company would just not even return the phone calls. Okay, we got to get into a bunch more stuff on this stuff sure because thing. I'm finding this fascinating, Andrew. So, at Luso Design Canada on Instagram, any other social pages you want? I've got Facebook, I've Facebook. got Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm really mostly active on Instagram IG. and everything else kind of trickles down from Instagram. So that's so the best place to find me and read DM my you. long rants. On, Learn uh, more about glass and doors. And doors. www.lusodesign.ca, uh, uh, Andrew at lusodesign.ca. The phone number is 416-834-9905. Thank you so much for joining us on Thank the you show. Thank you um, so tell us about the doors now. Let's talk about doors, the frames, the, the, the frame, the, the jams. Is there like, any point in repeating all of the stuff that we've kind of talked about? No, or we talked we about it earlier, but I, I don't to... think last time when we did it back in December, way back when, I don't think we went into specific details. Like, first of all, you didn't even talk about any about this glass, man. I would have remembered this glass conversation. This podcast I find that was meant to be about glass more than probably. Oh, really? Huh? Well, I think so. That was but I think, how the original you, so you, Okay, so talk more about the glass, and then you do the inserts. So you do the custom metal inserts, and that's where Roman and his facility comes in because you've got an idea. You sketch it. You talk to the clients. They get a sign-off on it, and all of a sudden you come here and go, here's a drawing. Can you please produce this now? And then you got to put it into the store, into the glass. So I think it actually gets even more fun than that. So what happened is going back uh, 10 plus years when I was studying on my own, everything was handmade. Basically, you've got metal bars, which are bent and cut and welded together. And you got like leaves and stuff that you can that you can add to them and weld it all. You powder coat it, stick it between the glasses. You've got your door insert. So it's essentially almost like the same thing you'd make railing, except that you don't galvanize it. You don't do the rust proof coating. You just straight up powder coat it, put it between the glasses. So this is where I started with. And I worked with a metal fabricator that would, I would do the drawings, they will make them for me. And then pretty early on, I started kind of hitting my ceiling there because I draw things and they cannot make them. And, it was just too complicated? Yeah. And the other thing too, <laughs> or they'll change them because they're like, listen, we cannot bend it the way you drew it. I'm like, but I already confirmed it with a client. You cannot just go and change it on me without telling me. So... What happened is going back to my, you know, artwork background and stuff like that, I started drawing things and I thought of an idea of a metalwork design that's based on an artwork. And you cannot make it out of traditional wrought iron techniques. So we've looked into CNC, which is laser cutting, uh, water jet cutting, that kind of stuff. So uh, having a little bit of a, an experience with graphic design software, I started looking into that. Some people that are going to check my page at some point are going to come across a tree design 
that uh, had been around for actually a, just about a decade at this point. This was my first very complex laser cut design. It took like two months to figure out how to draw it, then how to make the blueprints for laser cutting. Then we loaded those blueprints into the machine and it crashed the machine, the computer that operates the machine because it was not correctly done. Holy cow, and man. So it took us like a month and a half, two months to draw it. And then another month and a half to figure out how to actually get the machine to make it because... This is a decade ago. This is a decade ago. This is, a, this is the first one I've ever made that was really complex because what happened is the software that you use for for drawing, for graphic design, is completely different from the software that you use for CNC. Because CNC, you use AutoCAD, you use, you know, the part machine part fabrication, all of that stuff. So to go from the point of using software that is essentially made for printing, like Illustrator, for example, or, well, I don't use CorelDRAW, but back in the days it used to be popular, but I use Illustrator mainly, mainly and um, take that, take the picture that was really file that was meant for printing and make it into a blueprint that the laser cutting machine would understand there are a lot of in-between that we had to figure out so this is how my very first design which i called enchanted like the enchanted forest yeah i mean how how detailed did you get here man leaves branches tree? yeah everything i Holy would cow I would show it to you on my Instagram afterwards. No, 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 but you uh, can check it out. So go on the Instagram page and check it out. But so a decade ago, you, you present this. Did they eventually figure it out how to do it? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, so or really? we, we figured it out. It, it was the, the issue was the specific format that the blueprint had to be in so that the machine would understand it because the machine has its own, another piece of software that converts it into pathways for the machine to let, to cut it. So you got the laser and it goes from point A to point B and it can be very convoluted. Yeah. There's another software that is going to interpret that blueprint into those lines that the machine has to make and it was and it wouldn't work. So for a little while we had to figure out how to do it. So it was a language thing. One technique software had... even the same file format sometimes wouldn't work because of the way how things are put together. Wow. This is what made it really technical because since then, so now 10 years later, someone actually had copied this design. Someone relatively, someone local brings things from overseas. Copy your design. Copied my design that is 10 <laughs> years old and brought it in. And we've had a conversation the very serious one about stealing things and stuff like that but in the end of the day it's the fact but that's what's going to happen if you create something yeah. and you get it out there well it only took them 10 years to replicate it to be honest the funniest thing i hope they're well maybe they're gonna listen they're gonna I doubt to. it. so <laughs> when i first seen the copy from afar i was very upset I mean, yeah, it was a 10-year-old design, and since then I was at the version 1.4 or something where I cleaned things up, modified things, because, you know, luckily in 10 years I got better at drawing things too, and then laser cutting things as well. So it was very funny to see, like, from afar, yeah, it kind of is similar. And then you come up close, it's like, oh, I'm cutting it from quarter-inch steel, they're using 116. I'm uh, that much of a difference. They went one sixteenth and not yeah, even three sixteenth. Yeah, it's so much cheaper because guess I, where they made it. I know, but like from a quarter to one. <laughs> I know. So, wow. so it looks like a sheet of paper. Then you can see that whoever was copying the design didn't do a very good job. <laughs> they, they missed some details. 
they missed yeah it's like so there's basically a software that you can try to use to rip off someone's design except that the files are so complex that that software doesn't really do much what do you mean like a photography software where it scans it's a different file format it's vector formats for really yeah so there is a software that you can use to rip off a picture create a vector file and create a vector file from it but but that's not always it depends on the resolution comes out garbage yeah okay the only way to properly do it is to literally hand draw it that's the only way how are you going to get a clean file or scan like point scan in person exactly how it is but very deep high dpi right you need to still make the vector and then from vector you got to make the so these guys just figure Oh, so, let's just take a picture that we so, saw from yeah, so IG. Yeah, so they probably sent it to someone on Fiverr or wow. something like that to do the blueprint. So they cut it out of 116th. It's already kind of like a blurry kind of a version of the original. Hey, hang on, because you mentioned Fiverr, and I don't know how many people know about that, but basically it, you could tell them. I, it, I know It's, it's a, like a subcontract freelance website. website where you can pay someone money to you do You can a, find anybody in the world that will do something for yeah, next to nothing. Yeah, there's basically a kid in a India Fiverr. that's going to do uh, yes. uh, probably, a, you know, for 30 bucks he's going to do... 15-hour <laughs> project And a, and a lot you. of people do use it. I've used it before, and I get it because you can create logos for really cheap. You can do certain yeah. things, but I would never steal Con, someone's cons work. And, cons and pros. Yeah. So the other thing that they did is when I cut things, I'd cut them out of a single piece of steel, which actually makes them more expensive because the way you lay... So the sheet of steel that is loaded into the machine has a limit has a size maximum size to it and then when you're trying to cut multiple pieces multiple parts there are only so many that you can fit into the sheet yeah. and and certain standard sizes like 22 by 64 22 wide 64 tall that's like a full glass insert on a door they don't fit into the sheet very well so these jokers were doing what for me it's just there's only this many that we can fit into the sheet and the, because of that my cost is a little bit higher what they did is they cut it up into little portions so that you can fit them like a jigsaw so you can yield way more, way more pieces off of a single sheet. Your cost, again, your cost is lower. And then they spot welded them no, together. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah, you can. it's one of these things you'll never see it on a picture. But if you put the two side by side, you're going to immediately see the difference. Did, except they, that, did they clean the spots or no? Yeah, but you still, like, you cannot, you cannot weld the entire line. Like, mm. they're they're. There are long lines that had to be, and there are like two tacks at the top and the bottom, but the middle is still a line. So yeah, it was, and and of course the design itself was ten years old. So at this point, I already had a new version of the design. So I I that, looked that at it up close. That just makes you cringe, right? That and just, I, to see it, that just makes you cringe. Well, they they could have they could have literally asked me, Andrew, can you make us our own version? And I would have given, I would have drawn a file for them because we actually had a pretty decent relationship. Like we're competitors, but we know each other. And when you both are on the market for eleven years, you either learn how to get along and not to be an idiot, uh, or or not. But what happened is we did made up eventually. It's just a funny story now. They, I think, not are. They only did like one round of ten pieces, and I think out of courtesy, they're they're coming up with their own version of it or something like that. Or I don't know. That's what they told me. That's what they told me. I don't know. Maybe they're still saying it. Probably they're still selling it. But whatever. <laughs> uh, what, the, the funniest thing was for me is I came to realization. It's like yeah, someone can copy try to copy my work but no one's gonna copy me and there are certain things how i do things even at the point of drawing things right now you know 
thank God, 10 years later, I've gotten a little bit better. So I can draw things that are, you know, like that octopus and stuff like that. Until, unless you know how to draw, you cannot draw it. So not only you have to be technically skilled to take a graphic design software and and use it to create a file for CNC, for machining things, which are completely unrelated software pieces, and you have to convert one into the other and clean it up in a certain way, and even drawing it already in a certain way that it comes out clean. That was the whole goal, is figuring out how do I already draw them so that the guys in the CNC shop in the laser cutting company don't have to spend three hours and charge me 100 bucks an hour yeah. to clean up my files, or are they just going to tell me, you know what, we are not interested in dealing with this bullshit which we've been through a couple of times he's like this is your file this is garbage clean it up i'm not gonna cut it it's gonna make well like a lot of things when you when you have these issues with files the machine is just gonna go and it's gonna melt and create a mess instead of actually cutting the part really yeah yeah there's there's a lot of things like you can create glitches where you have a machine you have a laser cutting the design and then suddenly because of the glitch in a file transfer, it connects two random dots together and it goes that just goes right across the whole sheet of steel and cuts the whole part in half. Why would and it that's do, it. Why? Because there's something in the software? Well, so basically, yeah, you're, you're transferring from one software into the other and they're, and they're not really related to each other that well. So you got to pick these things up, right? Like on the output when they're, when they're cleaning up, like they have to take my blueprints and clean them up technically. But when they are in a rush, they don't always see those things. Plus, they don't, those things don't always necessarily show up in their software visible enough. So we've been with situations where they've scrapped pieces because I made a mistake in a blueprint and they didn't catch it. And then they have a sheet of steel that goes into scrap because the whole part was just cut in half or, or melted because there was a too complex detail and uh, it was too dense amount of lines. So it's trying to cut it, uh, but it just heats up and heats up and heats up and heats up and it just melts the whole thing. So but, how were these inserts created? Oh, you see those um, on this on the wall, the roses? Yeah, yeah. This is from actually my project from last year where you can maybe snap a photo of these. Wow. So I, I, I was trying to get a part that will be a cast rose and I couldn't find anything. So I had to take a traditional wrought iron design cut these roses out of CNC and weld them onto a traditional metal grill. So this is what's happening right now is this fusion where I take CNC and I take traditional wrought iron and I kind of put them together. And this is where we got to the point about four or five years ago, I was talking to my regular metalwork guys and I was like, listen, I'm gonna CNC this design, but then I'd need you to take it and weld a bunch of leaves to it. And he was like, I'm sorry, the amount of time that it'll take me, I'll have to charge you whatever I usually charge you for the full grill. Yeah. And I understand this is what it is. It's his time. I have nothing against it. I was like, well, price-wise, with door inserts, it's already a very tight market. Like with the stuff that comes in from overseas, honestly, it's very hard to make mark, uh, to make money in door inserts, which is why I'm doing doors, which is yeah. why I'm doing entire doors, mostly. I was like, okay, so I'll do it myself. So I had to figure out how to weld. And I just... Matt Roman through, I think, from my laser cutter. And Roman was kind enough to initially help me with some of the projects. And then I was like, you know what? You want to learn this stuff? Come here and weld. 
I'm like, I'd love to. <laughs> so then you could figure out how long it's going to take. And uh, honestly, welding is so much fun. It's uh, so we do MIG welding, which is which is the the squirt gun, and uh, it's uh, the most amazing feeling because when you woodwork, you've got wood, and you know you clean it up and you put it together. And it's and it's really really cool because of the things that you can do. But then with metal, you take those two pieces of metal, you're like split second, psh, you welded it. You cannot break them. No. The strength, that sheer, it's like they're tight. Like you know, you can take a two by four and jump on it, and it'll break eventually. You take a half by half an inch, you know, diameter metal rod, and this thing is strong enough to, and and you can just cut it and weld it together in a few, uh, you know, in a few minutes or a few seconds, really. And this is going to be like that strong. And then like there's there's certain welders that I've uh, actually met through Instagram that also kind of inspired me because MIG welding, so there's MIG welding, there's TIG welding. TIG welding is used for fine, fine um, automotive parts, aviation, um, all, aeronautics and all of that stuff. So is that Mi how it was done in the earlier days at first? It was all wrought iron at first. They would weld things and yeah, put the insert. MIG, MIG welding. It yeah. was always that. Yeah. So, But now we're getting to the whole CNC. But CNC now, but, but now you're, welding. you're mixing the two together. Yeah. That's and so I can do the part, like I can do traditional wrought iron. So designs. the whole thing can't be done on CNC. It's just impossible. Well, because to... those leaves are precast, right? You got these like stamped metal leaves that you'd use in railings. I literally go to a railing component shop and I pick up those leaves, except they're all swirly, twir like they're bent because in the railing you have them kind of like curling. Yeah. So I have to flatten them and weld them onto a piece of metal and. Because what's happening is I'm doing these really complex traditional wrought iron patterns, but the way they were done originally would be with heating the metal and pulling it and like like traditional proper blacksmith art. And unfortunately, there's very few people who would pay for traditional yeah. proper metal. It just gets to, it's that's, yeah. It'll it'll cost you like a thousand dollars to make yeah. to make one insert. So. And but the production wrought iron inserts that we're doing here, they use a lot of machinery to bend things, to crawl, swirl, to do uh, swirls and stuff like that. A lot of the things that I'm drawing that is based on these uh, a French castle metal work that the clients sent me as a reference. Do you get a lot of clients that are doing that? They're pulling out these these. I encourage them to do that. So they're pulling out stuff that was made from centuries ago. Yeah. That are true. Yeah, we, like... I, I do a lot of modern stuff as well. I do these super modern geometric patterns. I'm actually got a project today. We're going to be doing a chevron pattern. You know, like the, um, Spine, a lot of the barn bone. doors. Yeah. yeah herringbone pattern. Only we're using as a reference for the metal grill design. Really? Yeah. So it's going to be a quarter inch steel between the glasses, probably powder Staggered on the same plane, or how are you making... Staggered on the same plane. I mean, I am I have a few other ideas that I don't want to ramble on too much about this because I want to make them and then show them yeah. rather than talk about them and it'll take me another year and a half to get to them with the things that I have to do. But yeah, we're, we're working on some pretty... There's always some... I have a... I have a well, not a notepad. I've got a, a Google Keep list with okay. ideas that I wake up 3 o'clock in the morning and I add them in. And it's a pretty pretty long. What are some of the interesting things that clients have asked you to make? I've done... Uh, I've recently done a hand-drawn lion. So there's a black door on my Instagram, which is very special to me. Every once in a while, we get a client who is 
respectful of you as a craftsman and also some has a bit of a budget and they're like well we envision this what is going to be your take on it and then you give them the idea that you're like really excited about and they're like we love it this is how much it's going to cost we're good <laughs> and then i made it so it was it was a black door with black glass which the glass had automotive tint on it because we realized that there's no glass like this. So we had to take two pieces of glass, put limo tint on them, and put them together to create this blacked out glass unit, which is still, you can see out through that. And it's these narrow, tall doors, which are eight foot, kind of like eight foot doors, but they're only 20 inches wide, both. So it was a single door and two side lights. So the opening was not meant for a double door. Okay. It meant these really. And then on top of these black doors with black glass, we've got a silver polished metalwork, which has an artwork based lion head design that was based uh, partially off of the lions that they had on their um, like ornaments and gates. Yeah. And then it had like the flurry leaves and stuff like that. And all of that with a multi point and with a pull bar. So it was the craziest kind of like that was one of my favorite projects from last year if uh, mark and lisa end up listening to this which they may they follow me on social media thank you so much and i mean thank actually huge thanks to every single one of my clients because honestly i enjoy every single at this point i realized that if i'm not gonna enjoy a project i'm not gonna do it so you're at that point in your business yeah i'm at that point in my life i guess where i'm realizing i don't have maybe that much time i mean in my mid-30s but you still realize there's you know i got a seven-year-old daughter that's yeah, growing you want to be so more fast. passionate about the work and the and skill you got to be happy doing what you're you doing to it exactly and right? if you're if you're miserable even if you're making money what's the point there isn't any but i'm sure that you look at these ideas like that line idea and you're like going my team, my guys, my fabricator, my suppliers, they're all going to really love doing this one. And that's <laughs> the reason why they're, they're in this business. They're going to hate me for They'll hate you such at a first, complex project. but they'll love you for oh, it yeah. when it's well, accomplished, right? The thing is, yeah, so this is where a lot of, a lot of these uh, a lot of these doors are standardized and I can just submit the order and I'll just work on the metal work, I'll work on the designs. I still do a lot of leg work. I'll come in, I'll pick up the metal grills, I'll polish the little imperfections. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't kiss them before I drop them to powder coating, but almost some of them maybe yeah. I do. From late from the designs to the blueprints to laser cutting then i pick them up from laser cutting i drop them to powder coating when i pick them up from powder coating i check that there's no issues no scratches no nothing i dropped into the glass guys label them like this is when it comes to doors the actual door may be made by a door fabricator should we plug them i sure think they could. deserve it of course ruskin totally. doors uh sorry I've been who with is them. again sorry ruskin doors they've actually kind of blown up this year i don't know what's going on the guys like hit probably triple you know or what quadruple the, the volume ruskindoors.ca okay yeah so they they, they fabric they're, they're door fabricator they're a factory uh, that builds doors but they are not shy to do custom stuff and interesting things this is why we i think started working with them i've been with them for probably nine years at this point one of the things that kind of i think got us working together is they'll come up with this crazy idea with like my eyes wide and everything and i'm like guys we want to we need to do this yeah and 
a lot of the companies that I've dealt with would be like, ah, this is too complicated. We don't know how to do this. This is this is bullshit. We don't we don't want to do this. These guys are like, hmm, this is, this too is interesting. Let's yeah. let's try this. Let's let's figure this out. Yeah. And uh, they're still like that right now. And uh, you, you just described two different types of contractors out there. Possibly two different right. personalities, maybe exactly. even. Uh, and so. But then, yeah, so when it comes to when it comes to more regular doors, I can submit the order. They do their thing. I do my glass. Um, you know, I'll play with the hardware and everything else. For the more custom stuff, like the, the door with a lion, uh, I was there figuring out, like, we got all of the door parts. We got them ready. And then we were figuring out how to position the grill and the, and the hardware together. Like, I, I'm at the point where I can probably even assemble my own door if I, well, to be a good installer, you have to understand how these doors are built. Otherwise, yeah. you're not going to be able to fix an issue on a job site. So you got to be able to, if you're really good, take the door completely apart, put it all back together. Do you give your guys training? Is that where it comes from or no? So what's happening is about five years ago, after previous five years, trying to build my business the way I've seen everyone else doing. So you'd have a retail company, you have a, a sales guy or maybe the owner of the company, and then there is factory, there's an installer, and you basically get the order, send it into production, get it out of the production, subcontracted to installer, and then you come in and collect the money from the client. What I found out is that that approach didn't work for me very well because one, I'm too OCD. A lot of the installers that I worked with, I didn't like working with or I didn't like the results or I didn't like how they reacted to me pointing out things that they missed. Yeah. And and I'm an anal person, so I'm not going to say anything. It's not, in, not that they were bad or I'm somehow better than anything like that. No, it, it, I, I'm just a difficult person to work with. Maybe. Um, no, and man, Andrew, it's not, man. All it is is that you're rubbing elbows uh, well, with people who don't really care I, about being for, more. For, and for a while, it was happening, yeah. right? Until at some point, I've had a pretty much a nervous meltdown after uh, just having to come back and re and, and reinstall the door, basically, after someone who got their money and didn't want to come back to fix something. That's a whole and, other... And, you're, and I'm there to pick up the money. And the client's like... so. They were installing the door, and I was noticed they did this, and it doesn't quite look right. And this is when you're like, "Yeah, this is this is because they did it wrong." If you mm -hmm. if you give me a couple of hours, I'll 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 fix it for you. And I'm there for three four hours taking apart things and coming back sometimes because there's parts missing or because something was cut and assembled in a wrong way. This is where I realized, okay, you know what? Fuck it, I'm just going to install them myself. I don't care. I'm just going to install them myself. And that's how and, you became a hands-on installer and now, man. for the following five years, I've been basically, I've had my little brother who was uh, just getting out of high school, who was helping me. I was very lucky to actually have a couple of great installers that sort of mentored me initially. It's just that I would have loved to subcontract them, but their schedules were too tight. That that what became an issue is like I like these guys I like their work but they're booked four weeks forward yeah and I and I with the custom doors I cannot always pinpoint a specific day when it's gonna be ready I gotta wait until it's ready hundred percent then book the install and they cannot I cannot wait another month I started installing myself this is what I'm still doing I'm still installing pretty much every single door. <laughs> With really? the crew. So what happened is over the years, I've met other installer crews. So we'll go and be and do it together. And I 
I'm actually at this point, so it's basically that I'm paying them whatever I have to pay them for the installation, but I'm also there because I want to make sure that everything's done properly, that I can talk to the client if they have a, uh, if they have a question. And I've also worked out a lot of kind of my own neat little tricks that I've seen on Instagram, figured out on my own installing doors, like using laser levels to set the doors oh, up. Oh, man, and- I'm, I'm so glad that you said that because every time I see an installer... And if I see that installer set up because they have to jump jump on the job site and they pull out a laser level and they pull out every level that they have, like different sizes of level, I feel such a sigh of relief, man, because I know that they're just not going to use their one squinty eye to make sure that this door is good. They're going to use a gambit of options to make this door perfect. Because of how heavy my doors are. You have to go this route. You're one-eighth of it. Three sixteenths out of plumb, your door is gonna open or close on its own. That's it. Like and you, can't you can do get that. away with a light, shitty like builder's door filled with styrofoam. You can bring in slanted three eighths out hope. of plumb along with a, <laughs> along with a drywall, and and uh, and you 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 can you know you can pass. But yeah, so I started kind of getting all of these things. The other thing too is I've been learning a lot about building science i've been learning a lot about building envelope window and like doors and windows are massive if they're not good units and they're not installed correctly you affect the building system of the house exactly so i've been learning a lot probably past three four years um from a lot of people on instagram again there's have you reached out to hans yeah, yeah. I've, I was trying to meet with them. Unfortunately, kind of fell through last moment, but I'm definitely meeting with him. So I'm using Membranes right now. So I'm in touch with Siga Fruit Hunts. Yeah. I'm in touch with Huber, you know, Advantag Zip Sheeting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know their rap as well. I'm in touch with uh, architects in this US. This is important and, stuff, man. That You need to know this information. You need to at least have these conversations with these guys. Because this is really important. What's happening is this this is where it's that hands-on experience, right? Yeah. I I'm I'm starting to open up these doors and I'm like, why is the subfloor rotten? Oh, this is okay. You know, you put the new door on top, you're gonna be fine. No. Like, no, we're not gonna this is a fucking rotten plywood. No. You, you want to drop the door right on top inside of this? the structure. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so we're pulling this out. We're um uh, we're we're replacing that plywood now. The door is already built with a lot of composite framing and stuff like that. You can go back to the previous podcast for yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I remember stuff. you talking a lot uh, about that. So we're trying to basically build the door so that you can like almost submerge it in water, nothing would happen to it. But we still have the wood structure around it, studs, subfloor, all of that. So that you, you, you never know, Aquaman that. might want a door. He wants exactly. to submerge or something. And. Uh, <laughs> Oh All right, hang on. I got to take a break. Can you take a guess, Andrew, uh, what break we're going to take here? Uh, wait. No. Green Book? No. Green Book. Green Book, but something a little different with Green Book, right? So before I get into that, we're talking to Andrew from at Lusso Design Canada, www.lusodesign.ca, Andrew at lusodesign.ca, 416-834-9905. Can you tell me, I've got a list here of top 10 most safety violations, the top 10. Like more, most common? Most common ones in Ontario regarding the Green Book. I was actually surprised to see what the number one was. You would think it would be lack of personal protection equipment, I PPE. I think like hard hat or something. Yeah, so that's actually number three. But number one, this is as of a 2018 survey. Workplace violence and harassment is number one. No way. I mean, I, 
Which is kind of fitting to to to, to a situation that happened on like my job site today, back. you know. Yeah. I'm, but I'm like, that's number one. So number two is fall protection. Yeah. Number three is lack of personal PPE. Uh, number four is improper access and egress. Number five is health and safety representative. Number six is administrative. Number seven is basic OSHA awareness training. Number eight is improper use maintenance of ladders and scaffolding. We all know. A scaffold is not a ladder. You need a separate ladder for that scaffold to enter that scaffold. Okay? And then number nine is lack of machine equipment guarding. And number 10 is housekeeping. Work surfaces, keeping oh, a yeah. site clean. I'm that actually surprised, have been man. my construction bone, actually. No, because it's it's like I just got a photo. I got a text right now from one of my trades saying, I guess these guys are not interested in cleaning up after themselves. And I'm like, these are not my guys. So I have to have a conversation tomorrow to the client about his guys and what they left. Can I ins- like insert a mini rant? A, a, little, a little mini bone? <laughs> a little Throw mini a mini rant. bone in there, man. Okay. One of the things, and I know that maybe brand new job sites are a little bit different from the existing homes uh, where homeowners already have everything clean and stuff like that. But so when I work, I set up screens to separate the area where I work from the rest of the house. Nice. What do you put in the telescopic posts? Telescopic posts and thick tarps. And there's a way to fit them together, which will block off like 95% of the airflow. I'm not going as tight as like the full film and stuff like that with it with the zip doors or anything like that but i am doing all of these things and there's pretty much no discernible dust inside the house even though we're cutting the drywall and cutting the old door out and ripping things to pieces and when we're demoing the old door so guess how many years i've been asking for at least one of the installers to implement some kind of a barrier since day one yeah, probably the first, the first year, year when I got my first client is like, why is there so much dust and can you please clean up after yourself? Like it goes way into the house, right? Well, dust is just... So it took me five years of asking. It took me two months to figure it out when I was studying on my own. Like basically the first summer, I was like, you know what? Before it even gets cold, I'll figure it out because bugs are not flying into the house anymore. Pets are not getting out of the house. And probably the the nicest unintended side effect, when the homeowner wants to come and peek, they have to make an effort. They have to go around. And and honestly, like this is... Um, so they're respecting gonna, the fact that you're um, actually keeping their well, so home one, clean. One thing is it's, it's a homeowner's safety more yeah. than anything. So example... Uh, the only time when I nearly lo- I'm I'm usually a pretty calm person. It takes a, a lot to piss me off to the point where I would lose it. But the one time that I nearly lost it at a homeowner was, we're demoing the old door with my brother, and like I I'm aware of where he is because we've worked together for a while, so I know where he's gonna where he's standing, and I'm freaking smashing the the door. There is a barrier, there's a tarp, so I know from that direction no one's going to be there. And I'm basically taking a swing with my hammer, and with some kind of a sixth sense, I stop, and I realize the homeowner literally, like, like a cat, he sneaked behind me, and he was looking right above my shoulder into the piece of wood that I was, like, smashing to pieces. And you didn't so, know that he was right behind you. 
no, I had no idea. And we have mu like we I know the, the safety thing about music and stuff like that, but that's the whole reason why I separate my job site from everyone else. Yeah. Is so I can have a comfortable and safe environment. So I nearly clocked the homeowner straight in the face with a hammer. With your like back on a swing. backswing. Oh. Like I was just doing I'm 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 doing a backswing right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, he's the nicest guy. Honestly, like he's a very nice older Italian gentleman, very curious. Yeah. He, Absolutely he would be amazing. a really nice guy drinking out of a straw. Um, yeah, I yeah. Know. and I like on a full backswing, I nearly hit him in the face with a hammer. And uh, <laughs> I think I lost it for just about a few seconds. I don't think I swore, but I think my voice got really loud for a moment or two. And I just and then I composed myself and I've asked him to just basically make sure that, you know, we see him approaching and stuff like that. So one thing. Dust control, two things, safety, right? Yeah. It's not just that the, I, I, I'm actually going to start. So one thing that I'm planning to do is I'm going to start doing time lapses. And I always document my installs because I can always see how we've done things. If I have to go back and service You'll the door learn. that I've done five years ago, yeah. I'll see, I can pull up my Dropbox. So it's not that I'm scared that the homeowner, I'm not trying to hide anything from the homeowner. It's for the safety, it's for the security. So yeah, so the one thing is the tarp. The second thing, so we're working with composites. If you've um, ever seen an install, you'd probably notice that most door installers are not using any kind of vacuum, any kind of dust control. So I hooked up a vacuum to my saw, made an adapter, and it eliminates probably about like 90% until I, until I make it better, it's about probably your 80%. Your miter saw, your cirque saw, your yeah. table saw, cirque saw. Uh, my, uh, my, yeah, your miter chop saw. saw, miter saw. Okay. Yeah, so my miter saw has the vacuum hooked up to it, which I can replug into a table saw. And I started using it because I don't like sweeping. Because <laughs> I can't basically... send it, but you know what? You just gave me a thought, and, and I'm surprised that no tool brand out there has actually developed this yet. Because guess what happens when you set up a miter saw? Majority of the time, you're setting up a table saw. So why can't they design a vacuum that actually has a Y fitting so you could put two hoses on it and connect it to two tools at no, the you same can, time? You can, you can get like a splitter, and, and I'm not sure if From the where? Where you From find the Amazon? Vacuum? Yeah. Really? Yeah, and I I'm going to Amazon tonight, man. And the other thing, I'm really? not sure if the vacuum is going to be strong enough though to cuz you're going to have two No, openings. it's not so much that you're having the both machines operate at the same time. It's the the convenience But when you have of, a second hole, it's got a it's not going to pull in hard enough oh, two hole like the opening is going to be that much wider, right? They got to figure it out. I bet you any money there could be like a damper in between yeah. the Y. Or automatic so, some kind of exactly. a thing. So, so can, there's already a switch that goes on with the vacuum. You plug in the vacuum, you plug in your saw. I already know that. You, yeah, yeah. So that so I, that's typical, but I, I want to actually because every time I set up a vacuum, I always got to set up for the miter and the table saw, and I only want to set up one. I don't need, unless they want, they're forcing you to use one vacuum per tool, and then basically you got to buy a second vacuum. And you're hoping that and the that. Uh, um, the electricity is not gonna the the, the breaker well, is not gonna, have, gonna yeah, is gonna, gonna have to yeah, it's exactly. gonna be strong enough well, because the vacuum is fifteen amp, the miter is fifteen yeah. amp, the saw is fifteen amp, the next vacuum is fifteen yeah. amp. So I started setting this up just out of my OCD cleanliness. <laughs> and uh, and then I realized uh, a few years ago, so we're using everything that's composites. So it's one thing that you're going to go and cut a piece of poplar molding uh, and the shavings go into the ground and whatever they dissolve doesn't really matter. But composite it, 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 doesn't. Composite doesn't. So there are these tons of 
composite plastic shavings. Like I've had an install. That was one of my last installs. Not the one where I lost it, but the one that probably pushed me closer to losing it. Yeah. Where I was on a job site with the installers and they basically left a pile size of, I don't know, 12 inches wide, five inches high of composite shavings from cutting, table saw and everything. And then they just took a blower. No. And then they just kind of blown them, not even off the driveway. They've just kind of like spread it over the driveway. <laughs> why not like, Why not sweep that up dustpan like, or vacuum? I don't understand that, man. Yeah. So I, I was sweeping that driveway after they left. Okay, so that's your so, second bone. <laughs> so cleanliness oh, does it's control. Huge. It's huge. I think there's, and you know what? A lot of people think of it as something that takes more time. It saves you time. You work more efficiently. You work more. You set up once. It yes. takes you 25 minutes. I You're know. not running for but any other But I don't other like tools. the trades that set up and all of a sudden they're done their scope and then they just leave and they think that... I just find it kind of interesting because these trades were spending a better part of an hour blowing and cleaning all their tools just outside the door to get all the sawdust off of it. But then they loaded up all their tools and all of a sudden you go to the job site and all the offcuts and all the sawdust and everything is left on the floor. And I'm like, but that's part of you cleaning no, up you all clean your up tools. Yourself. Exactly. That's a whole other world, so, right? So one of the things that I love, I don't know, I think I heard it from someone on, on IG as well. The job site should be like a crime scene. No one should even know you are there. <laughs> Shouldn't leave any traces. That's pretty good. I like that. I <laughs> well, like I mean, that. I guess the work should be there, but <laughs> in terms no, of cleanliness. No, but you should have done the work and moved on, and that's it. Yeah, I typically, I'm the crazy person. So there's a new construction project. There's, you know, plywood for floors, no finished floors here, shavings, someone was cutting moldings or whatever. I, I think from... I like sweep. I think from now on, if I don't see an electrician come in with his his arsenal of tools and there isn't a vacuum there, I'm kicking him out of the house. Well, at least like a dust. No, no, because the thing is that electricians are notorious for what? Those little Shavings, those little uh, nibs, right? Little, those little, little nibs things. that are left on brand new flooring and then someone steps on it and then what happens? A nice big scratch on brand new flooring. Especially if it gets under the floor, floor protection. Floor protection. Everyone starts stepping on and then guess yeah. what? It just keeps working its way underneath there. Yeah, but I mean, they uh, should, uh, they're so easy to grab the wire, click, you know, yeah, just, cut it off and then leave it on the ground. And I'm like, dude, man, that's that, not how it works. you need a vacuum behind you, man. So, all right. So, Andrew. We went, uh, that was uh, we the, went all over the place, construction. Uh, no, no, no. That was the safety. The, the, the safety. The, so the, all um, the safety the stuff. The, the number 10 one was housekeeping work surfaces, and that's what it was, right? <laughs> you're so right. If you keep a clean job site, it's it, you're going to be more efficient. And plus, you're going to want, other trades are going to want to be on the job site. They don't want to step into a, a mess, right? They don't, they really don't want to. I mean, it's been said probably like a thousand times on this podcast, but respect the next yeah, trade it's 100%. is still... It's 100%. So now it's finally because you were one of the early adopters here. But now, you know, I think it's been only about 30 shows that we started doing the 12 questions of construction. You ready for this? No, but I'll You're not it. ready for this? Well, I... I, I... I've had these answers. I thought of some of them. I forgot all of them by now, and I'm going to just do it. What is your favorite construction word? Wow, that you get from the owner when they see the finished projects the first time. It's not even a word. It's like just the the sound. I know what you're talking about. What is your least favorite construction word? Not ready. 
mm. not ready yet. Or basically, this is always a pet peeve, but especially lately is a very sore spot. Nothing is ready on time, and the disruptions in the supply chain go so far down the line that I even have my trusted suppliers promising me something and not coming through because their supplier didn't come through. And it like because they told them not ready, and now they're passing on the not ready like, to there's you. There's like and, raw material. And the last thing and you like want to do is actually tell the client. So not ready. yeah, which is the reason why I've just had a, that conversation with yet another client. I'm like, I'm very sorry. I'm not booking it until I see it in front of me. What turns you on in construction? Seeing an idea that is in your head take shape and turn into something tangible turn into something real. Like for me, it's the drawings, the pencil sketches that I do for the metal work and they come from a pencil sketch to a more refined shape yeah. to an actual piece of metal and that it's something in the door and a client's looking at it like, whoa, this is so amazing. Yeah. And what turns you off in construction? People that don't care. Yeah, I can't stand it. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? Is it still a one word or? Or it could be a phrase. What <laughs> is your favorite remember, curse word in a phrase like, or man, on its, its own? When it's a one word, it's, um, it, it's you know, uh, fuck would be a pretty easy one. The one, <laughs> one of my favorite ones in the, uh, in, the, in the actual sentence that I kind of started using, I think from watching too much of Gordon Ramsay's cooking shows was fuck me sideways. Uh, that's, that's usually happening when someone tells me something that... So something's wrong or something that's happening. And then um, uh, I guess one of the perks of being, so I'm Russian, right? So yeah. I speak fluent Russian. And because I grew up in Russia, if I like really swear, it's in Russian. And that so would if, be? Uh, there's, of course, like, which is, which is <laughs> like, which is basically fuck, but it has a different um, origin, let's, okay. let's, so to speak. Okay. Uh, the funniest thing is there is a very, at this point, it's like a meme, sukoblet. Sukoblet. Uh, yeah. So this is something that's like in gaming, and it, it became like popularized as a as a common Russian swear word, but no one actually puts them together like this. They're they're usually used differently. What does that mean? Uh, well, there's no kids listening to this, but I'm probably gonna offend so many of my like Russian speaking. Well, maybe hopefully none of my Russian speaking clients are even gonna hear that. <laughs> no, if you want to leave, you know leave what? It Honestly, out, I'll leave the leave I'll, it out. You can I'll, look it I'll up. I'll leave the details of the linguistics of the Russian swear words to after I, the I podcast. I know during Rosie and Spaducci, she she shared an Italian one, and I had to look it up, and I thought that was funny. So my dad was an interpreter, right? Okay, he was back in Russia, and he's fluent in Italian. Oh really? But he's a construct. Maybe that's where my construction passion came from. My dad was a construction side interpreter. Oh, so, so you heard it all. I'll <laughs> yeah, you heard it'll it all. Be like vaffanculo. <laughs> <laughs> what so, What yeah. is your favorite vehicle? There is a um, rally driver slash uh, drift driver. His name is Ken Block. Anyone who doesn't know him should, should look him up. So he basically he started as a rally driver. He's actually the co-owner of the um, of some shoe companies and stuff like that too. So he's a professional drift driver. So he, you know, moves cars sideways and burns yeah. tires. So what car so are we talking about? They did a nineteen sixty-five Mustang. Except that they put this completely crazy kind of, well, they rebuilt it completely, so it doesn't even look really like you can only get glimpses of Mustang into it. Yeah. They've put a V8 on it. It's it and uh, it's a twin turbocharged V V8 
that runs on ethanol. The thing is, I think, is 1,200 horsepower. Holy cow. And um, it's all-wheel drive. And he drifts it in all-wheel drive sideways. And this thing is insane. <laughs> so it's, And they call up. it Hoonicorn because they've got this word Hoon, which is like um, like car acrobatics and, and, and shenanigans. Holy shit, and, I gotta uh, look this up, They man. call it Hoonicorn. And then they've got actually an F-150 from like the 90s, 50, 1950s, which again, <laughs> rebuilt into a crazy drifting truck. So they've got a Hooni truck. And those would be the two that are my favorites. What is your least favorite vehicle? You know, I don't really hate anyone, but specifically maybe obnoxious people on bicycles, but specifically obnoxious people. We're going to emphasize not that. Not just bicycles, but the and, obnoxious and not people just, on bicycles. Exactly. And not just any bicycles, but the lie-down bicycles. You know, when you're lying, because <laughs> I'm, I'm on a truck, I cannot even, like, he's pulling right beside my wheel. The only reason I even seen him is because I was striking it with the corner of my eye. And, you know, it's just dangerous. <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you love? Uh, I actually really liked my Surge Impact. It's it's a saw, it's like an oil pulse impact uh, by Milwaukee. Makita has one too. It literally saved my wrist about two three years ago. I, I I basically had a wrist injury and I was working with a regular impact and my hand and my wrist would kill me at the end of the day. Really? And I went and I went to go and get actually like Gen 3 Impact, which was not available yet. So I got the Surge and it's uh, it's a little bit underpowered, but it's good for most of the things that I need. I got that other normal impact as well. So that, it's like, it's an impact, but it's a quiet impact sound. What sound or noise do you hate? So this will be industry specific. There's a very specific semi-quiet noise that, noise that you hear when tempered glass breaks. Oh. It goes and you just know that, like, you're. So, what fucked. is that wind that, that sound? It's of, like. Really? Just like. It's very, it's pretty quiet. It's really quiet. After doing it just a few times and the amount of, well, just the amount of cleanup, because if this thing shatters and you're there for two hours just cleaning up and trying to pick up all the pieces of glass so that they wouldn't scratch the hardwood. And then you have to come back and then you have to replace the, put the, the temporary glass, glass and all of that. So, just that, like, tiny sound, like, it just. I can, I'm just imagining it, and I and I'm and I'm getting like tight inside. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? As of the past few years, a uh, tattoo artist. Really? I've got uh, I've got a full sleeve done last year, which was my first tattoo, and it was something that I was planning for over five years. And it was something that I did in spite of everyone that I knew. Like, my wife is not a big fan. My family, <laughs> my like, my mom and dad are pretty traditional Russians, you know, so like religious, all well. that. So uh, they're, they're okay with it now. But basically, that whole experience of uh, communicating, because this was like 15-hour trip like like it was it was five trips but but it was like or four trips but it was a full day and then i had the not not the shop but we were, touch up but we were adding details so it was the whole thing the whole time i spent in the shop was like several days basically oh, in and out wow. and communicating with the incredibly talented people like just the artists amazing artists it was it was just something that uh, it turned around a lot of things for me. Like last year, a lot of the passion, it was kind of uh, kind of a bit of a 
pivot towards something. I kind of reminded me of, of the things that I wanted to do 10 years ago when I wanted to do custom designs and stuff like that. So now what I also see is in many ways uh, tattooing as, as, a, as, a, as a craft is actually it's something that is that can that that's kind of time proof yeah. because you cannot easily learn how to do it it's being an artist but also having that very specific skill of working with a machine putting an ink into the skin so it stays on there and so it looks good and so it doesn't turn into a blob a year later the combination of you have to be an ax or hopefully a good artist, but also have to be really good at that very specific skill is the reasons why uh, great tattoo artists have a two-year lineup or a three-year lineup. Oh, I and, get it. I and this is it. something actually I'm kind of envious because they can say, you know what? My books are closed until 2021. And you literally have a lineup of people like, okay, I'm, you know, whenever you open the books up, I'll be there to give you my books. <laughs> I don't think anyone does that for doors. <laughs> no, but they may. What profession would you not like to do? Don't want to be responsible for someone else's health or well-being. So doctors, that kind of stuff. I think it'll just like You'll splitting casing miters keep me up at night. Being responsible for someone's health. Um, actually, can I sidetrack for just a second? What's that? As a contract, which dawned on me this spring, I was dealing with a job of a very badly installed door in a brand new house. And the amount of mold and rot on a two-year-old, three-year-old, I think, door was just crazy. Like, I was literally calling Carlito and I was calling um, Mike from MacCore because I, they were like the people that I kind of remember from podcasts dealing with with uh, mold and stuff mold. like that. And I was trying to figure out, like, how bad it is and sending them pictures so I don't know if I can close it off or not. So as contractors, we actually deal with people's health. And this is what a lot of people should understand. Maybe not everyone, but... It's true. Uh, so I guess I'm still, in some way, still doing the thing that I would not really like to be doing, but... In and around about way. Yep. So, and the last question, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Your kids are set. Your wife is not coming in here for a while. <laughs> we have some doors to do, but... Not until for a while. In the meanwhile, grab your guitar. Let's grab some Jägermeister. Let's go do that camping trip that you've been putting off for so long. Andrew, thank you so much. Again, check him out on IG at Luso Design Canada, www.lusodesign.ca, and Andrew at lusodesign.ca, 416-834-9905. Give him a follow. Give him a hire. Reach out to him. Ask him a bunch of questions regarding his products. He'll educate you. Andrew. Really appreciate you being back on the show and, and diving right into more details about the doors and the whole door industry, man. And a custom metal work and all that. Everything. That's, that's and once again, that... thank you so much for the custom espresso machine. That's absolutely insane. And watch for it on Instagram because you're going to see more than one post about that because that's insane to see an official construction life. So I did machine. the two of them, right? The one that I did for myself initially was, a test, was right? a test drive. Yeah. I've been doing these like espresso time shots and we tag your you and Tony and stuff like that. You know how many times I had to figure out a specific angle so to that hide it doesn't it, huh? show that to my machine it. is already. I was trying to figure out what was going on there. <laughs> Tony's going to be so envious of this, man. I'm going to make him one more too. <laughs> I'm going to make one for everyone. All right. Let's get out of here, man. Thanks again, Andrew. Really appreciate it, man. Take care. Take care.